is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. This evening we start with crime. How did we get to this place? We got to this place because the American Marxist element in this nation, backed by the propaganda media, embraced by the Democrat Party, brought us here. What you're seeing happening in the streets now, and it's no joke, murder through the roof, uh, this, these, these violent property crimes and so forth, were encouraged by the Democrat Party after the George Floyd uh, killing. They were encouraged by the media, whether it's CNN or MSNBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, whether it's ESPN even, professional sports. The radical left in this country pushed for what you're now seeing. They pushed for what you're now seeing. And there are former mayors who ran these cities who cannot believe what they're seeing. Former mayors that ran New York City, that ran Los Angeles, that ran Philadelphia, that ran Minneapolis, they cannot believe what they're seeing. Just as we have a lack of leadership in this country as a result of Joe Biden in this administration, and they're pushing their radical agenda, but a lack of leadership to stand up to the radicals. The same existed two and a half years ago during the riots. This is what the riots have brought us. And even though whites and blacks and Latinos and everybody, everybody was appalled by what they saw with George Floyd. It was used as an opportunity by the American Marxists, the Black Lives Matter movement, by college students who were not going to school because of the, the virus, by their professors, tenured Marxists. It was used by the media 
to drive some kind of revolution into this country. War on the cops. War on capitalism. War on sec on uh, on society. And of course, the white dominant, white supremacist culture. That's what you're seeing. That's number one. Number two, this nation is the target of a multi-billionaire who seeks to destroy it from within. Who's built alliances with the most radical elements in this society. Of which I speak, George Soros. These are George Soros' prosecutors in Los Angeles, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, in San Francisco. Nobody's putting a microphone in his face any more than anyone's putting a microphone in Hillary Clinton's face over Russia collusion, which she orchestrated. The damage these people are doing to this country, the damage this party, the Democrat Party, And its surrogates have done to this nation incalculable. And they want to do more. Through the legislative process, through the judicial process, and in the streets. And in the streets. Things that used to attract people to go into the big cities who don't live in the big cities. Shopping areas are being destroyed. Union Square in San Francisco is destroyed. You have an entire shopping mile in Chicago. It's been destroyed. Times Square is being destroyed. Market Street in Philadelphia, destroyed. Our inner cities are being destroyed by these Marxists. Why, you say? Why? Isn't this the base of the American Marxist movement? Yes, but they want to radicalize further. They want to radicalize further. The biggest racists we have in this country, they're Republicans. They're not white people. They're not the cops. They're the American Marxists. They've always been the biggest racists. Look at the Marxists in China. Who are they killing? The Tibetans. Slaughtering. The Uyghurs, the Christians. Because this is what Marxism does. It's a secularist, atheist ideology that prays to government. Look what happens to the churches. Even in heavily Catholic, if not exclusively Catholic to a great extent, Cuba and Venezuela. Really quite unbelievable. I want to read you a letter, an op-ed, I guess, that was put in the, the most radical major city newspaper, the Philadelphia Inquirer. You guys in Boston and New York and L.A., you think you have it tough? Philadelphia Inquirer is a real low-life newspaper. And it's written by the former mayor of Philadelphia, a black man, a Democrat. Written about the district attorney of Philadelphia installed by Soros, a white man, a Democrat. 
District Attorney Larry Krasner, he wrote, recent remarks about whether we are experiencing a crime crisis are some of the worst, most ignorant, and most insulting comments I have ever heard spoken by an elected official. At a Monday press briefing, Krasner told reporters, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. It takes a certain audacity of ignorance and white privilege to say that right now. As of Monday night, 521 people, and now it's 523. Souls, spirits have been vanquished, eliminated, murdered in our city of brotherly love and sisterly affection, the most since 1960. I have to wonder what kind of a messed up world of white wokeness Krasner is living in to have so little regard for human lives lost, many of them black and brown, while he advocates his own national profile as a progressive district attorney. See, here he is. He's taking on the radical white Marxists. He's taking them on. You don't see this from a Biden. You don't see this from a Schumer. You don't see this from a a Pelosi because they're of the Krasner ilk now. So it takes this former black mayor of Philadelphia to say, hey, everybody, look what the hell's going on here in my wonderful city that I was mayor of for eight years. And my hometown, by the way, he said, I'd like to ask Krasner, how many more black and brown people and others would have to be gunned down on our streets daily to meet your definition of a crisis? How many more children and teens have to die in record numbers to capture your attention and be considered a crisis? How many more moms, dads, spouses, and friends need to shed tears over the loss of a loved one for you to call it a crisis? Words matter. Words impact and trigger and hurt. Words mean something from elected officials. Krasner should publicly apologize to the 521, now 523, families of dead victims and the thousands of those maimed by gun wounds this year. He has ignored the pain of living and insulted the memory of the dead. Krasner should also use his words to send a message to the shooters, murderers, and criminals of this city by committing to actually prosecute them rather than coddle them, make excuses, uh, reduce or drop charges. He should commit to locking them up for carrying illegal weapons or shooting people. If Krasner doesn't have the fortitude or the guts to carry out those duties, he should resign and turn things over to someone who is still not trying to sell Philadelphians on the false choice of having either public safety or police reform. Philadelphians can have and deserve both. I know it's possible because when I was mayor, we laid the foundation for this work. 2013, Philadelphia experienced the lowest number of homicides since 1968. We reduced the prison population by 2,000. We reduced the number of police officers involved in shootings. The Philadelphia Police Department became accredited for the first time. We weren't perfect. As mayor, I made plenty of mistakes. But I didn't blame the press or Harrisburg. The people of Philadelphia knew that I cared about their safety and that I was working to stop abuses. And he goes on. And he goes on. You don't hear this from Lightfoot in Chicago. You don't hear it. And you know, I'm reading this to you because it's the exception to the rule. You have now a former black mayor in Atlanta. She doesn't take on these radicals. The current black mayor of Washington, she doesn't take on these radicals. None of them. 
It's an amazing thing. None of them take on George Soros. The big daddy of the Democrat Party. The sugar daddy. And all these radical movements aimed at overturning this country. Until Soros is held to account for the mayhem he has funded. Until the Democrat Party is held to account for the mayhem it has created in this country. And you want to go back to slavery? Let's go back to slavery. From slavery to segregation to Marxism to absolute lawlessness in the streets and on our border. Until these certain institutions and certain individuals are held to account or speak out, this will continue. You want to know why? The Democrats control all the elected branches of the federal government, and the Democrats control these big cities. Conservatives, Republicans, for the most part, when it comes to the big cities, they're not ruled by white privilege and the white dominant society. And if the Democrat Party does not abandon, does not abandon AOC and Talib and Omar and their ilk, people will continue to die and suffer in this country. School choice, something I and Landmark Legal Foundation and others have fought for for much of our adult careers. We litigated for it and we got it. School choice is something that would improve the lives of millions of human beings in the inner cities particularly. But the Democrat Party stops it. Big time private sector investment in the inner cities. I'm not talking about in the gentrified areas. I'm talking about the inner cities where so many of the people live would take place but for Democrat Party policies. The Democrat Party is a cancer on this country. This is their policy. You're seeing what's happening. They take the money from Soros. The Democrat Party does. Their campaign affiliates do. Their PACs do. They have dark money, PAC money, other campaign money. When's the last time the Washington Post criticized George Soros or did an expose on him? How about the New York Times? How about 60 Minutes? How about any of the Sunday shows? How about any of the morning shows on the networks? When's the last time? When's the first time? When's the first time? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer... 
Woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. ABC News, at least 12 major U.S. cities have broken annual homicide records this year, and there's still three weeks to go. Of the dozen cities that have already surpassed the grim milestones for killings, five top records that were set or tied just last year. It's terrible to every morning get up and have to look at the numbers and then look at the news and see the stories. It's just crazy. It's just crazy, and this needs to stop, says Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kenney. This is the mayor. So you got a Democrat mayor, Democrat prosecutor. This mayor is another loser. But they're all looking at this district attorney, who is the disaster. Uh, and they passed the record 500 murders. Stood since 199. Now they're up to uh, 523. So, you know, it's a sprint to the finish. Philadelphia, a city of roughly 1.5 million people, has had more homicides this year than the nation's two largest cities, New York, 443. In L.A., 352. That's an increase of 13% from 2020, a year that nearly broke the 1990 record. So now it's like the Olympics about breaking records. How about the core problems that cause this? You know, when it comes to immigration, they say, well, we need to look into the core issues. You know, what's going on? And, and these are foreign countries. Like, we have any effect on what's going on in Guatemala, for God's sakes. Preposterous. But here we know what the core problem is. The Democrat Party. Let's be honest with each other. Let's be honest with each other. It's the Democrat Party and their radical ideology. And the very people they rely on to vote for them are getting slaughtered. The very businesses they rely on to create jobs are shuddering. Are shuddering. Chicago, the nation's third city, leads the nation. 739 homicides. Folks, this is the kind of crap you read about Iraq. Or some war-torn country, or some country that's in the middle of a civil war. Not a civilized, advanced, industrial nation. Because the Democrat Party is embracing an ideology that isn't civil. That is not humane. Rather than attacking the police, we need more cops. A lot more cops. Rather than emptying prisons, we need more prisons. Whatever it takes. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Why is uh, Kim Potter on trial for murder? She had a body cam as did two other officers. We all saw exactly what took place. 
exactly what took place in the accidental shooting of Dante Wright. Remember this case? Dante Wright, he's 20 years old, he's in his car. Um, There's a warrant out for him. A warrant for violent conduct in the past. Criminal activity. He gets out and then he resists arrest. He gets back in the car. And she says, taser, 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 and accidentally pulls her pistol and shoots him. We all heard it. We all saw it. Why is she on trial? She's on trial for two reasons. The mob. They're demanding that she be on trial, and she was charged very quickly. And this fits the narrative, the scenario, white cop shooting a black young man. The scenario of white supremacy and the scenario of a racist police force. But we saw what happened. None of those things are true. So why is she on trial? That's why the Kyle Rittenhouse outcome was so remarkable, despite the mob. So Fox reports, justice for Dante Wright, reads a marquee at Minneapolis George Floyd Square, tongue over what used to be a gas station across the street from where Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck on Memorial Day 2020. At the fortified police station in Brooklyn Center, someone installed letters to spell out Dante Wright in all caps on a barricade erected around the perimeter. Why is he a hero? Why is he an iconic figure? Prominent civil rights attorney Ben Crump. He's sort of, uh, I don't know who gets to the scene faster, Al Sharpton or Ben Crump, is representing the slain 20-year-old's family following a shooting death at the hands of former police officer Kim Potter. No, he's not technically representing, well, he may be representing the family, I don't know why, but in a criminal case, it's the state versus the defendant. The state. But right before his death, Dante Wright left behind a trail of victims whose lives he upended with gun violence of his own. Oh, okay. Karma's a bee, two such women told Fox News Digital Monday, unprompted in separate interviews. The victim said they would have preferred Wright face consequences for his actions in a court of law, but also arguing that his own decision in attempting to flee a lawful traffic stop contributed in part to his shooting death on April 11th. Contributed completely to it. He created the whole environment. Caleb Livingston was 16 years old when Wright allegedly shot him in the head at the full stop gas station on Minneapolis Lowry Avenue. Initially, doctors told Kayla's mother he wouldn't survive surgery after the attack. He pulled through, but he can't talk and he can't walk. He suffers from unresponsive wakefulness syndrome and requires around-the-clock assistance. We're going to build a monument for Dante Wright? I pray for everybody involved because it's a loss of life, Livingston's mother, Jennifer LeMay, told Fox News Digital. I know what Wright's parents are going through because I almost lost my son. Now who now Wright was before he was killed, it is what it is. December 2019, Wright and a friend, Emma J. Driver, stayed over at a young woman's apartment. This is the key one that led to the, the unfortunate shooting. Stayed at a young woman's apartment after a night of drinking and smoking pot. The following morning, 
after a driver saw her slip $820 into her bra, Dante Wright allegedly pulled out a handgun, choked her twice, and tried to rob her. Now, this was a friend who let him stay over her apartment. After an ensuing struggle, Wright and driver left empty-handed, unbeknownst to the victim, who believed they'd taken her hard-earned cash, till she called 9-11 and found it still stuck away uh, within her torn clothes. That person was evil, and he didn't care about me in that moment, the survivor told Fox News Digital on Monday. Video obtained exclusively by Fox News Digital early this year shows Wright playing with a handgun in her bathroom moments before the attempted robbery. He recorded it himself, and police seized it from his phone. It's ironic that he died the way he could have killed me, having a gun pointed toward him, whether it was accidental or not accidental, the victim said. It just has made me start to think, how many more people could, be, uh, could he have uh, almost killed? Driver, an acquaintance of the victim from school, took a plea deal in the robbery case in December. According to the court documents, Wright died before his case went to trial. Wright Conduct, right, Wright's conduct led to three posthumous lawsuits against his estate, one in connection with Livingston's shooting, one with the robbery, and a third in connection with a hardjacking that left a former classmate shot in the leg. Sounds pretty violent, doesn't he, Mr. Producer? Three weeks before his death, encounter with Potter, Wright and an accomplice allegedly, allegedly shot former classmate Joshua Hodges in the leg and stole his car. According to the lawsuit, the accomplice's bullet allegedly broke his fibula, struck an artery, uh, excuse me, struck an artery and left him permanently damaged. That's too handicapped. Dante Wright was accidentally killed by a Brooklyn Center police officer on April 11, 2021, approximately three weeks after his crimes against Hodges, the civil complaint reads. After that accident, a false narrative began establishing Wright as a young person. That young person looked up to when, in fact, a warrant was in place for his violations of law on bond for a post-crime. He had previously chosen a life of crime, and he jumped his warrant. That is... He failed to appear. And that's what popped up with Officer Potter and other officers when they stopped this car. And they had a routine effort to take him into custody. And he fought them. And he went into his car and he reached for something. What did he reach for, Mr. Producer? Pack of gum? Right, an alleged gang member was also accused of waving a Black handgun near a Minneapolis intersection before ditching it and fleeing on foot, eluding responding officers. When police pulled him over in April, they found he had an active warrant in that incident and attempted to arrest him. Body cam video shows an officer later identified as a trainee under the Potter's guidance struggling, failing to apprehend Wright, who slipped back onto the driver's seat. Potter shouted taser multiple times, but drew her a handgun, firing a single shot into Wright, from just a few inches away, a couple of feet away. The car jerked forward, then crashed up the road. Wright died, and his girlfriend, Alanya Payton, was injured. And, of course, this is uh, in and around Minneapolis. Crump and Wright's legal team have described the accusations against him as character assassination. No, it's called a criminal record, you jerk. Why is this police officer charged? 
Why is her liberty threatened? She wasn't there to kill him. She didn't try to kill him. She made an honest mistake. And if the criminal in this case, the perpetrator, I should say in this case, hadn't resisted arrest, he'd be alive today. But he'd also probably be in prison for decades. That's part of the problem. We all saw what happened. You saw her regret. She had enormous regret. She shouts out after taser, 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 meaning she's going to use her taser. So as not to kill him. We got it there, right on the body cam. Everybody says we need body cams. Okay, we have them. And then after she shot him, the horror, when she realized she had shot him. Now she's on trial. It's like the Kyle Rittenhouse case, not the substance, where he was defending himself. He was put on trial. Not the remaining perpetrator. What's the lesson here? Don't be a criminal. Don't shoot people. Don't threaten people with a weapon. You should live. Unless, of course, you come across a criminal who wants to kill you. So now what? The mob's going to get its way? Is that it? The mob's going to get its way. We have this narrative of white on black police against black teenagers. And it really is unbelievable. When you look at the murder rates, that's why I started with it, program, the Democrat Party and the media, how they inflame these situations. Joy Reid, Tiffany What's-Her-Ass, I can't remember, Cross, and so many others, and they're not alone. They're not alone. They're all over TV. Rainbow Coalition, a relatively young, incompetent, low-IQ radicals dressed up as journalists. And then you have an old man comes out of Germany, did whatever he had to do to survive. Some awful, awful things that he did. Soros, who's exploited freedom and now tries to destroy it. He's not held to account. There's never any hearings about him, ever, because he's Daddy Warbucks for the Democrat Party and their radical militia wing. That's right, I said it. They're militia wings. Mostly peaceful, the cops, reform, bail reform. Unbelievable. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, Bob Cox, this is kind of a dumb guy. He's been dumb a long time, been around a long time. He's a lib. He's a political lib. He's been a political lib a long time. Rush used to mock him, and correctly so. Um, so he and Rush from time to time would go back and forth. Nonetheless, he's called out LeBron James and Kaepernick about their inconsistency. 
about why they don't criticize China for what China's doing and that they benefit from China. It's a little late to the game, don't you think, Mr. Producer? Just a little late. A lot late, actually. And you're not going to hear broadcasters on ESPN 1, 2, 3, or 12, or whatever talk about it. You're not going to hear anyone on NBC. I'm telling you, look, the communist Chinese, through intimidation and money, have bought off the corporations, NBC, MSNBC, Comcast, apparently, because they have exclusive rights to the Olympics. Do any of you who watch those truly pathetic and unwatchable programs, do you ever hear them criticize communist China? How about The View? The View. The Yentas on The View. The low IQ, stupid Yentas on The View. Are we sure... uh, What's Joy's last name again? She's such a loser. We sure Joe Behar's not transitioning. Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean sexually. I don't know. I mean uh, from low IQ to the lowest IQ. You won't hear it. Because they're bought and paid for effectively. Their companies are. And they don't want to... They don't want to upset. It's better to attack Trump and Trump supporters and Republicans rather than the actual genocidal maniacs that are staring us in the face. But I came across a little bit of interesting news, actually important news. I'm not prepared to go as far as the Wall Street journalists, but there's some very interesting news here. We saw it happen in Virginia, where 54% of the Hispanic vote went for the Republican. 54%. 54%. And when we say Hispanic, I've talked about the history of this word in the past as used by politicians in America anyway. It was a word that really wasn't used that much by the Census Bureau of the federal government to Richard Nixon's administration, and he said that he basically wanted to create an ethnic group to counter what he saw as an increased problem for Republicans in the black community getting votes. And so people from Peru, people from Cuba, people from wherever, uh, even though they didn't view themselves at the time, I'm a Hispanic per se, they were Peruvian or Cuban or, or, or Puerto Rican or what have you. Uh, which obviously is American territory. But my point is, so the Census Bureau at the direction of of the Nixon administration decided to create this category. So some Hispanics, given their ancestry, that is, where they're from, the experiences and so forth, are more conservative or more liberal than others. So I don't like the stereotype, but we have this piece here. And it says Republicans have made rapid gains among a crucial voting demographic that has long favored Democrats. The nation's large and diverse group of Hispanic voters is showing signs of dividing its support between Democrats and Republicans more evenly than in recent elections. This is from a Wall Street Journal poll. A troubling development for Democratic Party, which has long counted on outsized Hispanic support. One year after giving Democratic House candidates more than 60% of their vote, According to polls at the time, the journal survey found that Hispanic voters are evenly split in their choice for Congress. Asked which party they would back if the election were today, 37% of Hispanic voters said they would support the Republican congressional candidate. 37% said they would favor the Democrat. 22% undecided. Hispanic voters were also evenly divided when asked about a hypothetical rematch in 2024. Listen to this. 
of the last presidential contenders. 44% saying they would back Biden. 43% saying they would back Trump. In 2020, Biden won 63% of the Hispanic vote, 30 points more than Trump, although Trump won a bigger majority than Romney could ever hope to have won. Hispanic voters account for about one in eight eligible voters and are one of the fastest growing groups in the electorate, factors that compound Democratic fears about any deterioration in support. Quote, Latinos are more and more becoming swing voters. They're a swing vote that we're going to have to fight for, said Democratic pollster John Anzalone, whose company conducted the Wall Street Journal poll, along with the firm of Republican pollster Tony Fabriazio. And uh, they said the poll showed the economic issues were the main concern among Hispanic voters, drawing Hispanic men in particular toward the GOP. It's interesting how black men, black Hispanic, black, uh, excuse me, black men, Hispanic men and Asian men vote more Republican than do the women. But that aside, there's a couple of things going on here. It is the economics. A lot of people who come to this country or whose ancestors have come to this country, I'm talking about the, the immigrants now, um, they suffered through socialism. They, they, they suffered through autocracies that may not have a fancy name. And many of them see the benefits of a freer society, of more opportunity. I mean, after all, that's why many of them came to the United States in the first place before this, this current effort by Biden and the Democrats to bring everybody into the welfare state. But you understand what I'm saying. That's number one. But there's number two, tyranny. Many of these people have escaped tyranny, and many of these people are watching Black Lives Matter and the riots and the burning of cities. They're, whoa, 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 they're saying, that's not me. That's not my background. You understand. People are saying, that's not... That's not what I believe in. I tried to escape that kind of thing in various parts of the world. I want law and order. I want stability. I don't want the police state. But we can't have marauders and militia types on the left, people burning, people being brutalized and everything. America is the place of law and order and justice and equality. So I think a lot of people who've come into this country or whose ancestors more recently came into this country, they see this and they reject it. And they're now identifying it with the Democrat Party, thanks to the media, as well as Biden and the others. I want to explore this a little further with you so I can articulate it a little bit more fully. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. The hell did I do? There it is. 877-381-3811. I want to get more into this uh, rather extensive survey that was done by the Wall Street Journal news section. No friend of ours. Majority of Hispanic men said they would like to return to the policies that Mr. Trump pursued as president. Majority of Hispanic women said they would stick with Biden's policies. But again, keep something in mind. As an overall population, on the adult side, obviously, the percentage has typically been significantly for the Democrats. 
You see in this poll that there's a group of Hispanic men who are without a doubt enticed by Trump and have become more Republican. We have more work to do on that, said the Democrat uh, of the two pollsters. The Republican said, this says to me the economy matters particularly to Hispanic men. The economy and economic factors are driving them. But I would also argue law and order is driving them. And there seems to be this, this, this thought that all Hispanics in America want an open border with people just pouring in. Well, there's people pouring in from all over the world. There's people pouring in who are criminals. Just because there's some kind of ambiguous ethnic identity, I mean, everybody's not from the same country necessarily, doesn't mean there's agreement. Doesn't mean there's agreement. Shifts in some parts of the country were larger, and its analysis of the 2020 electorate, Equus Labs, which studies the Latino electorate, found swigs toward the GOP of 20 points in parts of Florida's Miami-Dade County, 12 points of the rear Grand Valley of Texas, and double-digit swings in parts of the Northeast. In South Florida, the shift was big enough to flip two congressional seats to the GOP. And you have a lot of people in these areas that have seen a lot of destitution or have escaped tyranny from Cuba, from Venezuela, from Haiti, and from other countries. In the last month's election for governor of Virginia, AP VoteCast found the Republican, Glenn Yelkin, who won the race, outpolled his Democrat opponent among Hispanic voters. We talked about that. Hispanic voters saw Republicans in Congress as better able than Democrats to handle some economic issues, such as reining in inflation and cutting the federal deficit, and best able to secure the border. They saw Democrats in Congress as better able to control the COVID-19 pandemic, rebuild infrastructure, and health care more affordable. So those of us who believe in individual liberty in the constitutional system, we still have our work cut out for us. But what I'm saying is there's a significant population in this country that we should embrace, that we should engage with, that we should talk to. And I actually think from a conservative perspective, we do. We don't deny anybody. We want to have that discussion. We don't say agree with us or we'll burn your house down. You know, that's the other side. The results showed Hispanic voters differing little from the overall electorate in their political preferences. And, uh, which is also interesting. So I wanted to point that out to you. Now for the American media, this has to be very depressing. Yes, I rip it up, throw it away has to be very depressing. Why? Because the American media are out of step with people who love this country. They're out of step with people who love this country. To me, there can be no question about that. You know who else is out of step? Once again, almost 20 years I'm behind this microphone. Not quite 20. What is it, 18 years, Rich? Something like that. 18. is the Republican leadership. I would say for 15 to 16 years that I've been behind this microphone, Mitch McConnell's been the Republican leader in the U.S. Senate. Can somebody tell me what substantive or profound reason there is for this? Mark, he stopped Merrick Garland from going on the court. Really? You think another Republican leader wouldn't have done that? 
So I have to go to Politico here. It says House Republicans seethe over Senate GOP's debt deal. This is a very, very big deal. Because if the Republicans aren't going to at least attempt to counter the Democrat Party radicalism when it comes to the massive spending, like we've never seen in human history, and the debt that your children are going to have to pay for and your grandchildren, then what the hell do they stand for? Mitch McConnell's deal on the debt ceiling is just the latest example of the Senate GOP working with Democrats to, to the scorn of House Republicans. So for Politico, this is about uh, a game, a process. Not to me. It's about a principle. House Republicans are questioning Senate Republicans' decision-making at every turn, a rift that's fueling an intra-party fight over the debt ceiling. First, it was Biden's infrastructure bill. And look how, again, they protect their boy McConnell. It's McConnell who led 18 other Republicans to support that infrastructure bill, folks. And here's the thing. A small percentage of that bill goes to actual physical infrastructure. A very small percentage. More for the teachers' unions, more for these radical left groups, more for phony degrowth movement, so-called climate change. They're going to uh, give birth. They're going to spawn all kinds of left-wing groups and left-wing programs. That's just this, this first half, the $1.25 trillion. Then it was last week's stopgap government funding deal that divided the two GOP conferences. And after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell cut a deal with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to ease Democrats' ability to raise the debt ceiling, tensions are boiling over between the wings of the party. It's not the wings of the party. Mitch McConnell is a conniving, untrustworthy, self-serving, power-hungry hack. Hello, hello. Write it down. Why not? Now, of course, media matters, and media, they'll never repeat that. But it's true. That's what he is. He told you, the American people, he told Biden, anybody who would listen, it's public, that he would no longer save the Democrats from their own undoing. And what he did here is he saved them. He saved them, and not just politically, that they could move forward on the debt ceiling. He took the filibuster rule off the table. He took it off the table through a variety of very sleazy moves. The advice of which he gave to Schumer. And Romney's there, big dumb Romney. Well, you know, uh, as long as uh, we don't have to vote for it, let, uh, let Mitch do his magic. It's pretty much what he said. Because Romney's an idiot. So as long as the Republicans aren't seen voting to lift the debt ceiling... And the Democrats can do it on their own with 50 votes in Kamala Harris. That's fine by the Republicans. That's okay. The usual handful standing up and saying, no, don't do that, are trash. The Mike Lees and so forth. House GOP leaders said the deal is so toxic they may not need to twist arms to get their members to vote against it. I would like to think this is a bad enough so we don't need to whip it, said Chief Deputy Whip Drew Ferguson, Republican of Georgia. Senate Republicans say this is the best deal they could get, forcing Democrats to raise the debt ceiling on their own and to name a specific number as high as two trillion. Does anybody think the Democrats coming out of the blue states with their base give a damn if the Democrats raise the debt ceiling? How about the welfare of the nation, you morons? 
How about the welfare of the country? How about using the power of the purse to stop them? The goal is to stop them. Not to protect your sorry asses. Given the Senate's filibuster threshold, Senate Republicans say they simply have a different responsibility than their House colleagues, who could often vote against whatever they want in the minority with little consequence. Listen to this idiot Mike Rounds, Republican South Dakota. Another rhino. It's an easy vote, just a vote no. Well, apparently it's not easy enough for you, pal. As a matter of fact, let me show you how, how dishonest these Senate Republicans are. South Dakota, pay attention about this clown Mike Rounds. They're going to vote no. You're going to vote no, Mr. Rounds. You're going to vote no. And you're going to want praise back home from conservatives or other people are just concerned about what you clowns in Washington are doing. But you're going to vote no when you would have voted yes because you're allowing the Democrats to vote yes in lieu of you and to get what they want. Trillions of dollars in new spending. That's Mike Rounds. No spine. There's nobody back home that thinks he should cooperate in the red states with Democrats at all. I personally think we have a responsibility for those things we've agreed on with the operation of government. That's not a very popular position to take back home. But that's not the position he's taking back home. The position he's taking back home is he's going to vote no to raise the debt ceiling. That's what McConnell's telling his, his Republicans. You can vote no. Schumer's going to vote yes. I've created a situation where we don't need the filibuster to stop them. A simple majority, they get what they want, but you can vote no. Won't that be exciting? You can go home and lie to your damn constituents. I hope I'm being clear. Am I, Mr. Producer? It's sickening, ladies and gentlemen. McConnell, Rounds, Thune, all these buffoons. They lie to you. It's unbelievable. And then they're self-righteous. Oh, it's so easy to be in the house. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's easy to be a senator, quite frankly. We can fool the American people. You jerk. That's right. I don't even know this jerk. But look how he talks. Does he talk about the welfare of the country? The operation of government. The private sector's going to hell. The private sector's overtaxed, overregulated. Through executive orders. The private sector hasn't gotten on its feet yet. The government tells us it's righteous to shut down your businesses. It's righteous to stay home. They subsidize non-work. People are working. People can't get hired. People won't get hired. People don't want jobs, some of them. And this jerk lectures you and me. Oh, it's easy back home. Like Biden, he's trashing his own constituents. You don't understand how hard it is to be a senator. You don't understand. It's not like being in the House. Then resign, you jerk. God almighty. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. So you're going, to get, you're going to be completely confounded because McConnell set up the situation. Let me show you. He thinks he's a smart guy. He's actually quite stupid. If you believe in liberty and you believe in the constitutional system, if you believe in some level of fiscal insanity in defeating these people and pushing them back, he does not. 
It's one of the reasons Trump had him spotted and can't stand the guy. So here's what McConnell has set up and delivered to Schumer and the radical Democrats, the American Marxists. Here's what he's delivered to them. And by the way, has completely undermined the House Republicans. He's working with Schumer and undermining McCarthy. That's why some people say to me, well, Kevin McCarthy, Mitch McConnell, you don't have to love McCarthy, but he's no McConnell. McConnell's the worst. McCarthy at least attempts to reach out to conservatives and tries to push an agenda. You're never going to love everything a speaker does, a Republican speaker. But he's some guy you can talk to and try and influence and persuade and prod. McConnell wants nothing to do with you. He despises you. He wants the majority that you'll deliver him. But he doesn't want you. And this is a big part of the problem, isn't it? Anyway, so he has temporarily, effectively, suspended the filibuster rule. That creates a horrific precedent. Because the Democrats want to push through their agenda. Republicans never push through their agenda. People say, get rid of the filibuster rule. It's going to hurt us more than them, that's for sure. That's number one. Number two... They can now raise the limit by trillions of dollars. Number three, the Republicans will vote against it, but it's the Republicans who are making it possible by other votes. By not requiring the 60-vote threshold. So, the Democrats win. The Democrats increase massively the debt on your children and grandchildren and generations yet born and wealth yet created. Already trillions have been spent. And the Republicans will claim victory because they oppose the final vote. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff to President Donald Trump and his lawyer, top lawyer, George Terwilliger, former Deputy Attorney General of the United States, as I understand it, has sued the January 6th committee and its members, has sued Nancy Pelosi because they are trying to compel him to violate a constitutional protection that belongs to President Trump and the executive branch called executive privilege. And they will seek a criminal contempt charge against him and an indictment against him through the Merrick Garland Justice Department if he does not com- if he does not comply with their effort to compel him to violate the constitution of the United States in the complaint it says the select committee wrongly seeks to compel both Mr. Meadows and a third party telecommunications company to provide information to the select committee the committee lacks lawful authority to seek and to obtain the committee acts absent any valid legislative power and threatens to violate long-standing principles of executive privilege and immunity that are of constitutional origin and dimension. Without intervention by this court, Mr. Meadows faces the harm of both being illegally coerced into violating the Constitution and having a third party involuntarily violate Mr. Meadows' rights and the requirements of relevant governing laws and governing records of electronic communications. Only this court can prevent these grave, these grave harms. They're fighting back. It's exactly what they should be doing. John Easton, fighting back. Steve Bannon, fighting back. 
You do not cower to bullies. That's one thing my dad taught me that I will never forget. Even if there's a group, take aim at the biggest bully. Hit him as hard as you can, he told me, as hard as you can, with your fist, right in the nose. Of course, today you get shot in the back. But nonetheless, from a legal perspective, they needed to go on offense, and they are going on offense. This is a rogue, Stalinist-like operation. Every single committee member has been chosen by one party. Broomhilda, the evil. Nancy, Eva, Stretch, Pelosi. She even chose the two reprobates. Kingsinger, a real head case. And Cheney, another unhinged buffoon. Sorry to say, nonetheless. Their hatred, their hatred has driven them into the corner with the evil Nancy Pelosi. There is a constitutional right to executive privilege from a former president of the United States. The ambiguity is, how far does it go? That's something the court has not really had to focus on. Now, why is that? Because nobody's ever done this to an ex-president before. Because it's Nancy Pelosi who's out of control, who's feeble, who's insane, who's low IQ, whose teeth are falling out of her mouth, and whose eyes are popping out of her head. That's right. You don't get to pick all the members of a committee and reject the choices that are made by the Republican leader in the House. Tyranny. There was tyranny in impeachment one, tyranny in impeachment two. And I am glad to see that patriotic constitutionalists are taking on Republics in the House who voted for impeachment one or impeachment two. And we will deal with Romney. I will certainly air cover here in terms of trying to defeat him should he wish to run again. He'll have to decide what state. He was born in Michigan. He was governor of Massachusetts, and now he's senator from Utah. Who knows? Maybe next he'll go into New York. He'll run there, pretend he's Jacob Javits. I don't know. Guy's got more, uh, more domiciles. Are we sure Romney's not an illegal alien? I'm not sure. Somebody ought to check those records. I, uh, we sure he was born in America? I'm just, I'm just, you know, just trying to annoy people. Anyway, good for Mark Meadows and his lawyer. Good for John Eastman and his lawyer. Good for Bannon and his lawyer. Of course, we had David Schoen on the program. He's absolutely outstanding. And I would argue that every single person who's attempted to be dragged before this committee should do the same thing. Now, I saw this fellow, Mark Short, who I've known a long time. Not buddies. Uh, I believe he was chief of staff to Mike Pence. Uh, I think he worked for Mike when he was a congressman. For a period of time, uh, my wife worked with him. He also uh, worked for Ollie North. He also worked for Donald Trump. And I think has found a quasi-permanent job now with Pence. But that said, I read a piece where he is cooperating with the committee. And I thought to myself, when you cooperate with this committee, and there's been executive privilege asserted and hasn't been resolved by the courts... You're violating the Constitution of the United States by undermining the position of the former president who has asserted executive privilege. What are you doing? 
And he's not alone. There's this guy, Jeff Rosen, who was the Deputy Attorney General of the United States, became the Acting Attorney General of the United States with three minutes to go in the administration. Apparently, he's bleeding his, uh, his lungs as well. Apparently so. And many, most of these people are very fearful of the Washington media. And then they have concocted this scenario that they're the ones who are righteous. Why don't you at least wait till the courts adjudicate this matter? I mean, truthfully, that's what Bannon said. He said, look, I'll, I'll testify, but I got to get a resolution in the courts. I'm betwixt and be damned. I'm betwixt and between. You know, something like that. So, what's that? Oops. Now, you folks understand what I'm talking about. And, of course, that was the position of, uh, of Bannon and his lawyers, I said. said Let, let's resolve this so we know what's going on here. I don't have the authority to undermine executive privilege. But the rats are jumping a ship here. The rats, the phonies, the frauds, the freaks. And the way the media in Washington puts it, you know, these are the, these are the people who are cooperating. Cooperating, but that's a rogue committee. You should be fighting this. Doesn't mean you ultimately won't have to testify, but you should be fighting this. Because it hasn't been adjudicated. This committee is conducting itself as if it's the judge, the jury, and the executioner. That's what I mean. It's a Stalinist enterprise. The irony of a Cheney giving aid and comfort to a Stalinist enterprise. Exactly what it's done. Well, you folks are driving the New York slimes nuts. I mean, nuttier than they already are. You're driving them nuts. You want me to tell you how? And it's hilarious, because Amazon's helping you do it. Amazon is helping you drive the New York Slimes nuts. And all you're doing is buying copies of American Marxism on Amazon at 50% off, $14. In such large numbers, we're back on the New York Times list, Mr. Brady. Now, here's the dirty little secret. The New York Times list is crooked. Every position I've had on that list, I've had to fight like hell for it. Number one, 10 weeks in a row. Wasn't even close. Then they start to work you down the list. Then they knock you off the list. So, out of 20 weeks, I've been on the list now 18 weeks. On one week, off one week, on one week, off one week. Because they say they weight the sales. So if you buy from an independent bookstore, they weight it heavier than if you buy it from Amazon. Why? Well, how many of these creepy little nerds do you see in these independent stores? Who do you think runs, not all of them, some of them, in and around Manhattan? Right. These guys that wear these corduroy jackets, these taxi driver hats, old taxi driver hats, and don't shower for four days. Those guys, as they sit, you know, in the, uh, with the book stacks, reading one book and then after another because they're too, too cheap. And then they buy one and go, ooh, I bought one. You go, okay. And then there's regular Americans like you. You go online or you go to a major store, Barnes & Noble or Walmart or whatever. You buy a book because you're there. They count you less, just so you know. They count you less. So it's all, again sort of weighted toward the left and where they shop. All right, so we have to sell an overwhelming number in order to be number one for two and a half months. 
That is Mark, what's this have to do? I just thought you'd be interested in knowing about it. Sort of a list of 15, we're number 15. And we'll know tomorrow, again, if we've sold more books than the five above us. Because that's what happened last week when we weren't on the list. Because even their book lists corrupt. If a conservative's up on that list, it's because they earned it and earned more. Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. I've been doing this a long time. Anyway, screw them. Here's the thing. If you need a Christmas gift, grab the book now. Amazon is subsidizing it. It's 50% off. And the New York Times hates it. Good. That's two. That's a twofer. But here's the threefer. Whoever gets the book, I think, is going to benefit mightily from the book. So if you haven't gotten it yet, please get a copy of the book. It's very, very inexpensive right now. It is deeply discounted. It's not going to get any cheaper. 14 bucks. What do you think? It's Chris Christie's book? It's on the resale shelves already? No, 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 no. That's important. We sold more books at Amazon in one day than Chris Christie sold all week all over TV. I have a theory about this, Mr. Produce. You know what it is? Chris Christie goes to all these studios and does all these shows because of the free food in the green room. He's collecting donuts and sugar cookies and cupcakes. This guy, this guy. Anyway, so uh, it's a great gift. You can even give it to a lib. I mean, if they're hardcore Marxists, you know, we have converted some of them. So have a big open mind about this, about who you give it to. Look at their faces when they open it. If they don't open it, I'm sure you'll get a reaction. Good, bad, or indifferent. American Marxism, it's 50%, 14 bucks. That's all it is for all that information in there. You parents out there, very, very important. So you know how to address these school boards. Victory. And to address these corporations that are pushing critical race theory and other stuff, it's in the book. Police officers, information in the book, and so forth. And one last thing before I break, because I'm running late. I should have done this a long time ago, several weeks ago. If you're looking for something for little kids for Christmas, why don't you take a look at my late dad's books? He loved little kids. He wanted to influence sort of their early perspective on life, sort of the opposite of critical race theory. The last book he was working on was the Declaration of Independence. Unfortunately, uh, he didn't get as far as he wanted to get. But his very last book was on the police. It's almost prescient, called Our Police. Our Police. Consider getting your kids that book. You know, the first spot book was actually written and illustrated by my parents. And we found it in a box in their garage. And I got it, and they got it published. My Dog Spot. That's available, too, on Amazon.com. His book on Proverbs, I happen to think it's some of his most beautiful illustrations. He did all the illustrations for all these books. Is a fantastic book as well. And his two books on Lincoln and one on Washington, on The Crossing. These are wholesome books. These are honest books. These are books I think you'll want your kids to read or page through or, or books you'll want to read or page through for them. Check them out. They're out there. They are really, really beautiful. I've got them right in front of me. I'll be right back.
is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 Anyway, uh... I've been asked a lot about the monologue that I gave on Sunday. It's gotten quite a reaction. Again, I want to thank you. We have very strong numbers every single Sunday night, thanks to you. If you don't watch the program live, you have been DVRing Life, Liberty, and Levin. And uh, it's just that I went back to an old format I used to watch uh, as a young man, and I liked it, which is, let's slow down a little bit. Let's have a substantive discussion. It's now being emulated uh, throughout cable world and, uh, and non-cable world, but that's okay. Uh, when we do good things, it's good that people, that people learn from them. So I thought, since there's many more people who listen to radio than watch TV, uh, I thought I would uh, play some of this for you. Uh, it goes against the media narrative, which is why I did it. So uh, sit back. Relax, enjoy a little bit. Cut one, go. We have got to reject the media narrative in this country. If you listen to the media in this country, you're going to get all screwed up. You're not going to get the facts. You're not going to get any history, even, even recent history. It is a propaganda operation, and we should all know this by now. There are a handful of real journalists in this country, a handful of news platforms in this country, and that's it. One of the things they want to do is ensure that Donald Trump, if he chooses to run for president again in the Republican primary and so forth, that you will oppose him. It's the same media that tried to turn the 2016 election into a fraudulent election. Talk about them talking about fraudulent elections. I want to remind you that all Donald Trump wanted to do is to improve his country. Unlike Barack Obama, he loved this country and he loved the citizens of this country. He didn't view them as racist. He didn't want to fundamentally transform America. He wanted to make America great again after Barack Obama and his ilk on the hard left. They tried to impeach him twice. These will go down in history as two of the most outrageous acts by Democrat Congress. They used Russia collusion against him, which was clear to us, but is now clear to everybody, which was a criminal enterprise launched by Hillary Clinton Uh, the FBI, the intel agencies, the Obama White House, in my view, Obama and Biden as well, certain law firms and other individuals to try and take out a duly elected president. There's no commission to investigate that, of course. We have Twitter and Facebook and the corporate media, a cabal of uh, of pro-Democrat, pro-American Marxist entities that oppose free speech and have shut down the president of the United States, if not worse. You had disloyal saboteurs around this president. He came to Washington. He had never served in Washington or in government before. And so he needed to select people who had some experience at the bureaucratic level. Many of them turned on him. They leaked to the press. They stabbed him in the back. Uh, Some of them are trying to enrich themselves with books and so forth. This is a complete lack of character. It is so disgusting to me. Somebody who worked eight years in the Reagan administration would never have thought of doing anything like this. A phony whistleblower. They go after his tax returns. The, the emoluments clause, another phony charge. Two and a half, three years of a criminal special prosecutor. What an outrage lo- unleashed against a president of the United States. They called him everything. Hitler, Stalin, Mussolini, a racist, an anti-Semite, a dictator, a man who loved his country. 
absolutely outrageous. And now we have the Nancy Pelosi January 6th Stalinist Politburo trying to ensure that Donald Trump will never run again. But we have to reject this narrative. And starting this evening, right here, I'm putting the marker down. Enough is enough here and now. The comparison is what Trump has done versus what Biden is doing. And reject the rest of the corrupt media analysis because it's all propaganda. Let's look at COVID-19, Operation Warp Speed, three vaccines in less than a year, therapeutics in less than a year, stop travel with China, build hospitals, ventilators, masks, etc. Uh, under constant attack from media Democrats, congressional Democrats, every step of the way. This was the equivalent of the modern Manhattan Project for domestic war against the pandemic. We have never seen anything like this before in American history. That's what it was. That's what it is, despite what they say. What do we have from Biden? Nothing. No new vaccines. No new therapeutics. More people have died in 2021 under Biden than died in 2020 under Trump, according to Biden. That means he shouldn't be president of the United States. Where's the little charts on the on the television screens? They don't exist anymore. And he has three vaccines and therapeutics that were developed under Trump. What do we get from Biden? People are fired. People are attacked. People are wearing the scarlet letter because they're unvaccinated. They don't even take into account natural immunity, which is a scientific fact, which is even stronger than the vaccine. They have mandates. They have threats. They have firings. They have punishment. That's what we get from the autocratic Biden administration. Cut to go. What else? Let's look at the border. Southern border more secure than it's been in generations. 500 miles, a wall built under Trump, despite lawsuits from Democrats trying to stop him and slow him down with support from the media and rhinos who are weak on the border. Number of illegal alien entrants were slashed to record lows. He had diplomatic breakthroughs with Mexico. Nobody thought he could do it. So he had remain in Mexico. You want to come into the United States? You're a refugee. You stay in Mexico till we figure this out. Huge drop in the flow of deadly drugs. Now we have a spike like we've never seen before. Drop in sex trafficking. Now we have a spike. Criminal immigrants coming into this country. MS-13 and so forth. Hundreds of thousands of unknown illegal immigrants. That is outrageous under Joe Biden. And what has he done? A complete open border. That's what he's done. They talk about COVID. We have COVID-infected aliens, people with other diseases coming from the poorest parts of the world into this country, and they don't seem to care. They're secretly released into parts of the country, particularly in Florida, because they hate DeSantis, without telling anybody. I have to move fast. Time's limited. Look at the economy. Under Trump, record low inflation, record low gas prices, energy independence. We were exporting oil, fracking, ANWR, federal leases, pipelines, all moving the American economic engine. Record employment before COVID, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, women, everyone. Even with COVID, the economy was recovering strongly. I would call this Trump's morning in America. People were hopeful again. Businesses were opening again. Manufacturing was opening again. What do we have under Biden? Massive inflation, massive spending. What else? Push for more massive taxation, massive regulation. Energy independence is dead. Now we're begging our enemies. Russia, we're begging OPEC for oil. They say no. What else? Skyrocketing gas and home oil prices. Supply chain disaster. We've never had that before. Shortages of basics in food markets for toys for Christmas. Huge price increases when they're available. What else? He wants to massively expand the federal government under this buy back better or whatever the hell they call it. 
the welfare state they want to expand, new entitlements, redistribution of wealth, subsidies for non-work. That's not America. That's not what we believe in. One more. Cut three. Go. Foreign policy. Oh, my God. Under Trump, Iran was in a box. Iran's economy was imploding. They're our enemy. He eliminated the Iran deal, which was a giveaway. China was boxed in with tariffs. uh, Trump built up our military, our Navy. They were boxed in. Russia, the pipeline was cut off. NATO was strengthened. NATO was strengthened. He was sending offensive weapons to Ukraine. The Middle East, peace breaking out everywhere. Unimaginable. Israel. We had the Gulf Arab states, the Abraham Accords, multiple peace deals never imagined before. Trust but verify. Again, this was, I think, one of Trump's beliefs. Use of economic superiority, use of military superiority. He created the Space Force to confront China, which has uh, satellite killing satellites in the sky. He said enough of that. He rebuilt the U.S. Army and he was getting us out of Afghanistan with integrity, with honor. He would never have left hundreds of American citizens over there or allies over there or equipment over there or given them that bog grain base. Never, ever, ever. And what do we have with Biden? The Afghanistan disaster, still hundreds of citizens over there that nobody seems to want to talk about. Worst ever, worst ever military defeat, at least in modern times. That provokes our enemies, and it has. Iran is moving at warp speed, so to speak, to build nuclear weapons. General McKenzie, Biden's general, has said they're going to have them within a month or so. What then, ladies and gentlemen? And their economy is moving up again because they're selling 500 million barrels of oil to China, Iran, China, and now Russia, an alliance that did not exist. China is threatening to destroy Taiwan the way it destroyed Hong Kong with multiple endless military interventions into Taiwanian airspace. Russia has 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border today. And I already spoke about Iran. Israel's being undermined. Its defenses are being undermined. Because the Biden administration has told them you are not to attack Iran. Well, how are they going to defend themselves? Military, Biden uses it for social experimentation, critical race theory, vax mandates. They went women in the draft. And ladies and gentlemen, they're destroying the number one military on the face of the earth. He doesn't even want to increase their budget. Executive orders, the attacks on the independence of the courts, the attacks on separation of power, the filibuster rule, the attacks on our voting system, the corrupt Biden Department of Justice threatening parents at school board meetings, using the power of the Department of Justice to destroy women's sports. And I could say more, 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 but I can't because I want to get to part two of my interview with the president of the United States. Mark Levin. Well, welcome back. I have a uh, a surprise for you. Special guest, Scott Atlas, MD, professor, advisor to President Trump. Many, many awards for his expertise and his knowledge. How are you, sir? Great. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's a pleasure. He's written a fantastic book, A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. So let's jump right in. Who was the number one person, or what was the number one institution that you were fighting with? 
Well, I was the advisor to the president, but also on the task force for those four months. And the head of the task force medical side was Dr. Deborah Burke. She was what's called the task force coordinator. She wrote all of the written advice to the governors. She visited dozens of states. And she sort of commandeered along with Dr. Fauci, who was the most visible face of the task force to the American people. They commandeered the policy. I, uh, you know, had a difficult time getting the facts out and articulating the truth. And, uh, you know, I visited one single state, and that was Florida. The rest of the country followed the Burks fauci lockdowns and restrictions. And those lockdowns failed to stop the spread of the infection. They failed to stop people from dying. And they destroyed millions of families and sacrificed our children, particularly the low-income people, the most vulnerable. Here's what I don't understand, and you can help me with this. Typically, if you're a scientist and you're responsible for so much, you want outside input. You want the competition of ideas. You want other individuals with different expertises and backgrounds and so forth. Out of Stanford, such as yourself, or out of, out of Yale, like uh, Dr. Uh, Risch, or God knows where. And yet, I don't seem to think that's been taking place at all. Has it, Dr. Atlas? You're exactly right. I mean, what what happened was Drs. Fauci and Burks were 40-year government bureaucrats. I came in as a health policy scholar with 15-plus years of health policy and 25 years-plus of medical science and research and clinical care experience. And I didn't just bring in the data. I brought in the data. I also brought in outside experts, the people actually doing the research on the pandemic to visit the president and the vice president, people from Tufts, Harvard, Stanford, UCLA. And uh, that is what you're supposed to do. We need all hands on deck. Science is about looking through, critiquing the studies, listening to other views. And, you know, this is how the scientific truth is arrived at by having the scientific debate. Instead, what happened was I would bring in the data, studies from all over the world, 12, 15, 20 studies when I was asked a question. And what I was met with by doc, from Drs. Fauci or Burks was silence and then an accusation that I am an outlier. In fact, Dr. Burks refused to attend the meeting that was set up specifically so she could attend with the outside experts who were speaking with the president. That's not the behavior of a scientist that may be, to most people, uh, that may ring a bell about the behavior of a government bureaucrat. You know, it's amazing to me. Um, Here you have the head of whatever the medical society is in South Africa, and at the same time she's doing that, she's literally a practicing doctor. When do you think the last time is that either of those doctors in the bureaucracy have actually seen a patient? Well, I, I'm not sure. I would guess several decades. Uh, and, and that's part of the problem here. We had people who were government bureaucrats running the policy. I was the only health policy scholar, health policy person on the task force. The only one. Uh, that, that should be shocking to people. But it should also be shocking that these people were not. I never once had what I was saying refuted by a critique of the studies, by new studies being talked about, by a critique of the methods of how a study was done. Uh, Instead, it was sort of a sophomoric tabulation of cases per day that you could get from a public website. I mean, that's just not analysis. That's not the level. I have frankly never worked with people uh, who were less rigorous about what was 
was going on, less scientific in their approach, less critical. There was no critical thinking going on. And, of course, you don't have to be a scientist to be a critical thinker, but you better damn well be a critical thinker if you're going to be a scientist. And it's interesting to underscore your point where we have critical thinkers who also happen to be politicians. There aren't a lot of them. They said, wait a second, my experts say this. I've looked at the data. It says this like DeSantis is no dummy comes out of Harvard and so forth. He told me I I would look at this stuff till one in the morning. I would talk to my own experts and they'd say, no, Fauci's wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And so they try to shut him down. They try to deny him uh, uh, certain drugs. They uh, they try and mock him. There's been way too much politics in this so-called science, hasn't there, sir? Well, I mean, I think this is a critical uh, big issue, really, that comes out of the pandemic. It's not just the pandemic. The pandemic and the management exposed fundamental problems, including how academia and science have become politicized and have now harmed the public by interfering and intimidating the free exchange of ideas. Without the free exchange of ideas on campus, by the academic science crowd, in science, in journals, without that free exchange of ideas, we will never arrive at the scientific truths that we need to solve not just this crisis, but any future crisis. And the public has been harmed uh, by the lack of uh, really uh, a free exchange of ideas. And we even see that in the so-called climate change era. You have these, these brilliant men and women from MIT, you know, oh, we can go on and on and on. They're persona non grata. Nobody wants to hear from them because they're, quote-unquote, science deniers or climate deniers. My question to you is this. The attacks on Donald Trump, you work with Donald Trump intensely for a period of time. I, I, I know the man. He doesn't deny science. He asks very penetrating questions, does he not? That, that's exactly what I saw and wrote about in my book, uh, you know, Plague Upon Our House. When I, when I was brought in, the president would say, okay, he would ask me all the relevant questions and listen very intently, and I would go through in a very clear way and answer the questions. In fact, when I brought in the four other experts and we sat in front of his desk in the Oval Office, he went through and asked each one of us point blank several critical questions, listened intently. That's what everybody should do. That's the point of listening to the science. Can I hold you over, sir? Sure. All right. The book is A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. I can't think of anything more important right now and more current by Dr. Atlas. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. I'm on with uh, Dr. Scott Atlas. I would encourage you to get his fantastic brand new book, and it's called A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. You know, uh, Dr. Atlas, as I was reading your book, this was hand-to-hand combat day in and day out uh, with certain parts of the bureaucracy, certain parts of the White House. Um, I mean, it was pretty brutal, wasn't it? Well, it was difficult, uh, but, uh, you know, I'll tell you what keeps people uh, going. First of all, the truth is critical. This is obvious. It doesn't even have to be said, really. But secondly, I was getting thousands of emails a week from the public 
and more than 100 medical scientists from all over the country begging me to continue, uh, despite, uh, you know, all the, you know, slings and arrows and the distortions by the media and uh, really uh, the internal politics of it. Because the fact is that the lockdowns were killing people, destroying people. And uh, th- this is unacceptable. We had government bureaucrats taking over a policy uh, without any critical thinking whatsoever. There was no thought to the impact of the policy. That's uh, really more than immoral. It's unethical as a public health leader to inflict or impose a policy upon people to stop a single disease without considering that all health impacts all health impacts of the policy itself. And that was never contemplated. And in fact, it is still missing from the narrative of the people who are in charge of our country's public health policy. You know, I'm a pedestrian when it comes to these things, uh, Dr. Atlas. And uh, for months on this program, I would try and find on the CDC website or anywhere uh, whether they were keeping track as best as they could of the individuals who had natural immunity, who had gotten COVID, who lived, and had natural immunity, you can't find it. Now, isn't that about science, too? And why wouldn't the government keep track of this sort of thing as best as it could and reveal that to the American people? We have studies out of Israel. You have the New England uh, uh, Medical Journal, Journal of Medicine, uh, that's looked at studies throughout the world. The only place that hasn't done a study is us. You're right, Mark. And, I mean, this is uh, almost inexplicable. We, as a country, are uniquely denying science. And it's not just denying science about this virus. It's denying, you know, first-year medical student-level immunology. It's denying, really, thousands of years on natural immunity from diseases. This would have been shocking if we did not have natural protection after recovery from COVID. But we know it's true. It's more protection against an infection to have recovered from COVID than it is for someone who's never had COVID but had the vaccine. That's factually proven in the literature. In fact, European countries count recovery from COVID as having immunity when they're uh, using their systems to allow people into group events. The United States is the only country among our peer nations that simply ignores it, denies it. This is really... uh, almost inexplicable uh, what's going on here by our country's public health leadership. I want the audience to know how thorough your book is. It's, it's a real mix of science and medicine and the events that took place and the press and the consequences. Let me ask you this. Seeing what you saw for a relatively short but a very focused period of time, do you think Donald Trump was well served by the bureaucracy? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, uh, and even more importantly, the American people were not well served uh, mm-hmm. by the bureaucracy. I mean, this was a very complicated health crisis. There's no question it was a health crisis. Uh, and you need people to speak the truth, to allow the debate, to admit they're wrong when the data is against them, to say their policies were wrong and to change course when they're proven to be wrong and destructive. And this went back, by the way, to the spring of 2020, when I started to write about it, as others did too. The wrong policies were, the lockdowns were being uh, imposed on the country, and they were done for the months before I was there, the months I was there, and the months after I left. 
and that was very harmful, destructive, and these people still don't admit, the lockdowners will still not admit they're wrong, and we're still being told to do these restrictions. They still talk, as an example, the latest variant, okay? Mutations of these viruses, this is a known, anticipated consequence of a virus during a pandemic. The virus mutates to survive, and it typically becomes less lethal. And this Omicron variant... All the data shows so far that this is less lethal, far less lethal. We see peaking of cases even with the previous variant, but we do not see the same peaking of deaths. This is never acknowledged by the public health leadership. And so the, the public is in a, a state of panic. There's really distortion of the fact, and it's very harmful to us as a society. And so now the burden has shifted on individuals to be critical thinkers, to think for themselves, their families, and their children. And the trust, the automatic trust we gave to credentialed people must not be uh, kept there. They have damaged that trust, and we need to take over our decision-making for ourselves. That's, that's how it works at this point. And the media are hard to believe. In fact, they're unbelievable. I mean, even now they're talking about the number of cases of this Omicron. I mean, what do the number of cases have to do with anything? You know, Mark, this is a continuation of what we saw. There's some good data that was done, a study at the end of 2020, that showed that the American media specifically was extraordinarily harmful and distorting. What they did... 90-plus percent of stories about COVID during 2020 were quantifiably negative, but only half were negative in other countries' English-speaking mainstream media. 90-plus percent of American media studies about schools opening were negative. Only half were negative outside the U.S. And in one eye-opening statistic, the stories about cases going up compared to the stories about cases going down were a ratio of five-and-a-half to one. Mm. Even when cases were going down, there was a dominance of cases of stories about cases going up in the United States media. They were extraordinarily harmful. I'm sure some of it was undeniably political during the election season. But at this point, uh, you know, really, it's been so destructive that we knew the media was not uh, transparent, was not unbiased. We knew that. But this this kind of gross distortion of the truth by the media is a serious problem now, and it's going to be a difficult one to solve. This is really a very important and fantastic book, A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America by uh, our current guest, Scott Atlas. You know, I'm looking here, uh, doctor, officials push vaccines on 5 to 11-year-olds. This is Breitbart. 0.00% to 0.03% coronavirus cases in children fatal. What the hell is going on here? This is inside. What is this? What is this about? What do they want? Yeah, the, que- the answer to the why question is very difficult. Uh, you know, uh, we have a public health leadership that seems intent on getting uh, sort of something done rather than on being transparent. What well, do you think it's the teachers' union that's, that, that's pressuring them because they well, did it before? Well, they did it before. 
and you know the fact is, Mark, you couldn't design if you were going to design a job where you had lower risk from COVID, you would want to be a teacher in, in an elementary school they, they, because kids have low risk and kids very rarely transmit to adults. This is proven all over the world. Other countries, all the other countries, kept their schools open from September 2020, except the United States. All our peer nations in Western Europe. So you know this vaccination thing again. We are an outlier. The advisory. Uh, body to the NHS in the UK, they said the data does not support recommending vaccines for that age group, people uh, 5 to 12, 5 to 13. We are the only country ignoring the data. Other countries are stopping short of that because, of course, the kids have extraordinarily low-risk, healthy kids from this disease, and they have uncertainty, and there are side effects being explored and finally tabulated now about the vaccines, particularly in young people. The risk-reward ratio is something we always, as parents, uh, use to determine what health measures should be uh, done on our kids. We don't listen to mandates uh, when there's very little benefit uh, to healthy children to get an experimental drug injected in them. I think this is another really heinous abuse of the public with public health uh, policy here. And uh, I think the public's sick and tired of it. I think much of the public's actually pretty smart. And that's why they're under attack by this administration, this president, by Fauci and so forth, because now the public's resisting. They're saying, wait a minute, you're not even making any sense. And we don't, I don't have to be a doctor to figure this out. One last question. Great book, A Plague Upon Our House. I'm talking to Scott Atlas. The other, the, I mean, again, to the average person, you listen to, they're talking about you know, getting the vaccine, and then the border's wide open. They're not testing people on some kind of a regularized basis. We know this because the Border Patrol tells us they're not doing it. What do you make of this? Again, it, the public watches this. They listen to this. I say, why are you all over me? But when it comes to people pouring into this country, you don't seem to give a damn about what they might be spreading. And by the way, not just the virus. It could be some other disease. Well, the inconsistency, the erratic uh, sort of advice, the lack of a, any kind of scientific foundation, in fact, the frank lack of logic and common sense, is now, as you said, understood by, by many and an increasing number in the public. And this goes to who should you trust to make your decisions. The public really needs to look at the people who are consistent, who are saying facts, who understand the literature and can articulate it in a very logical way, in a very consistent way. This is completely missing from the people leading the uh, so-called pandemic response. And, of course, that response continues to fail. It fails to stop the spread of the disease, and it fails to stop people from dying. And luckily, we have the vaccines to stop people from dying, and we have uh, now over 100 million people, perhaps 150 million, who have uh, natural immunity because they've recovered from COVID. So we're going to get past this pandemic. But again, these big issues here, they really need to be thought through. And I do believe, I agree with you, people are smart, people are critical thinkers. And now that it's impacting themselves and their families and their children, they're beginning to understand that they have to step forward. Otherwise, things won't change. There is no waiting for the CDC to say, okay, we're finished. There's no waiting, in my opinion, for somebody like Dr. Fauci to say, okay, now we're going to be able to live normally. We have to make these decisions on our own. I want to thank you for your service to the country. I know it wasn't easy. I'm not talking so much about the White House, but all the uh, slings and arrows from the outside. I want to thank you 
for this fantastic book, A Plague Upon Our House. I hope the people in this audience will quickly grab a copy. You can go to Amazon.com, any major retail outlet when you happen to be visiting them. Uh, just look up Scott W. Atlas, MD, A Plague Upon Our House, My Fight at the Trump White House to Stop COVID from Destroying America. And I think you serve the American people and the president with, uh, with real dignity. So thank you, and I wish you all the best on this book. I hope it gets way out there so people can understand what was and is taking place, Doctor. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. All right, you take care of yourself. What a, what a great guy. You know, and you have to be courageous to go against the stream, and the stream is so wrong. It's such a disgusting disgrace. I'll be right back. Mark in. How much time do I have, Mr. Producer? You know, there's a watch guy. He's like a, about a mile, mile and a half from where I am. My house. Every time I go in there, the guy, he can't fix my what I need fixed. And he's not happy to see me. And I think he's got a thick Russian accent. So today I bring my watch in, right? Well, last week I bring my watch. Because the face of the watch... Uh, has kind of turned. It's kind of screwed. And uh, it's a good one. I don't do Rolex and all, but I do my kind of watch. So he said, send it to the uh, manufacturer, you know, because uh, I can't, I don't know. I'm supposed to send this watch to the manufacturer somewhere in Europe with all those ships <laughs> hanging out all the thing that this will never get fixed. Yeah, it's like two years if it ever shows up. For all I know, some guy on the ship will take it. I, I mean, I, no offense. I'm just saying. Oi, oi. All right. All right, Mr. Producer, you still awake? Give me the name of a caller, please. Go right ahead. My man, Jimmy, from Brooklyn, New York, the great WABC, owned by cats. Don't misspell it. Go right ahead. Mark, the threat from Russia, China, and Iran is growing really big. Oh, no, 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 no. Rush- There's people out there saying that uh, this whole Russia thing is us looking for nuclear war. What do you say to them? Well, they don't understand Russia. Putin is a Soviet. He's KGB. Russia, China, Iran, and America have a long-term connection, believe it or not. Russia, China, and Iran, and America. All four countries have, for 100 years, a communist party that work on the same wavelength. This is why now you see the Democrats seem to be siding with China and Iran versus America. So that's 100 years in each country. Jimmy, let me ask you a question. You being the expert, and you're also from New York, how come uh, AOC never criticizes communist China? Well, they're on the same wavelength, and China mm-hmm. and Russia have connections to Antifa and Democratic Socialists of America. These mm-hmm. people are on the same wavelength, but sometimes there's direct contact between these groups it's like people could have the same idea be a same idea and be in different parts of the world but they're working in unison they're all like zombies jimmy call call back uh what's today call back tomorrow or friday uh i apologize to you that music means i gotta dance but uh call again jimmy's a long time uh, listener and call great guy we salute our armed forces police officers firefighters and emergency personnel and no america's not the bad guy russia's the bad guy when it comes to america and russia see you tomorrow america god bless